Ken James and Jason McKittrick. Brought to you by CryptoCurium. I have never heard an even approximately adequate explanation of the horror at Martin's Beach. Despite the large number of witnesses, no two accounts agree. And the testimony taken by local authorities contains the most amazing discrepancies. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Learning Lovecraft. I'm your host, Jason McKittrick, and joining me as always, the traveler of the Eldridge Path, Mr. Ken James. Good evening, folks. And tonight, as always, we are delving into the mysterious and otherworldly realm of H.P. Lovecraft's cosmic horror. Our focus tonight, the horror at Martin's Beach, a collaboration between Lovecraft and his future wife, Sonia Green. So off the bat, this is the Slithery D, right? Ah, uh, sure. It didn't take him. It took all the others. But it didn't take me. Yeah, well. Hey, Just I saying. mean. Scary stories to tell in the dark, folks. Yeah. I hope you knew where that was from. Always on my mind. <laughs> Always. So before we dive into the story, um, I think we should have a little bit, a little primer on, uh, on Sonia. Um, Sonia was born on March 18th of 1883, and she was seven years older than Lovecraft. Oh. Yeah. Um, bit of a cradle robber, huh? Uh, kind of, because Lovecraft was, at this point, you know, still a little howie. Yeah, up, up in my room, <laughs> writing my stories. So, Sonia was an amateur writer and a businesswoman. Uh-huh. Um, she was a hat maker. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, uh, owned her own shop. Supported uh, Lovecraft once they got married. Yeah. Well, we'll save that for another story. Sugar mama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, but she had kind of lived the whole life before she even met Lovecraft. Um, at the age of 16, um, she had already been married once before to a gentleman named Samuel Green, another Russian immigrant. Um, and they <clears throat> had a, a son who passed, but then they had a daughter uh, named Florence. And um, according to Lovecraft's correspondence with his his friend uh, uh, Alfred Galpin, um, the original husband was, quote, a man of brutal character. And mm-hmm. it's hinted that, um, aside from having a very turbulent marriage, uh, that he died from his own hand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's already what's that's already what's happened before. <laughs> and then she sees Howie, and she's like, "I could fix him." <laughs> you know what? Probably not too far off. Yeah, uh, she was independently middle class, which was very unusual for a woman of the time. Um, like I said, she worked as a, uh, a milliner, which is a hat maker at a department store and traveled frequently for her job. Uh, and her salary enabled her to rent a house for herself and her daughter in Flatbush, Brooklyn, hmm. uh, which at the time was an affluent suburb. Is it coming back? I think it's gentrified now. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, she donated money to several amateur press publications and traveled to amateur press conventions, which is where she met Lovecraft in Boston. Um, just a weird little, uh little aside that doesn't get mentioned very often. So because she had a daughter, Lovecraft had a stepdaughter. How about that? Yeah. Hmm. So it, there's there's really nothing on any of what relationship he could have had with her, if there was any. Right. Uh, because later on in life, um, they became estranged. Uh, Lovecraft, uh, I mean, uh, Sonia and her daughter, um, even in her, she has, an autobi- she has an autobiographical work, and she doesn't even mention her daughter. Oof. So... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not looking good. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, hey. So, after they meet, um, they have this shared interest in amateur journalism. Lovecraft and her start this, you know, correspondence. Yeah. And it quickly, you know, develops into uh, a romantic relationship. Um, <clears throat> there's not too much um, 
out there on it. <clears throat> There's only her her side of it. Um, apparently, uh, after they they eventually divorce, obviously, but after they they divorce, she burned all the letters <laughs> that he wrote to her. Which for any you know any Lovecraftian who's really you know gets really into the nitty gritty of this stuff, it's like oh man, imagine what kind of cool stuff was in there. There's probably story yeah. germs in there. Yeah. There's probably like but ideas, thoughts, yeah. right, right. Um, so they um, they married on March third of nineteen twenty four. Um, <laughs> despite facing significant cultural and financial challenges. Uh, so Sony was Jewish, mm. and Lovecraft... Was not. With his, let's say, complex worldview. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, man. I mean, because, you know, this, this this gets talked about, you know, that he was this guy who was, you know, racist, xenophobic, all these, you know, isms and, 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 and whatnot. But he married a Jewish woman. Yeah. Which is interesting. It is. You know, but he developed all those ideas when he was isolated. You know, meets this woman who yeah. takes an interest in him, and it's like... Can fix him. Yeah. Maybe. Or whatever she did to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, she was a big supporter of his uh, writing endeavors, uh, encouraged him in his literary pursuits, um, but because of the financial f- uh, strain faced by the marriage, because Howard refused to work uh, and just wanted to write... Uh, they, you know, struggle to make ends meet, and uh, there's a bunch of details, but I'll just keep it short. They eventually separated in 1926, and uh, Sony returned to New York, and Lovecraft returned to Providence. Um, but she still had a connection to his legacy after he died because she puts out this, you know, this uh, biographical uh, piece where she talks about her time with Lovecraft, um, and she continued her... Um, her involvement in amateur journalism, uh, she remarried, um, and then she passed away on September 6th of 1972. Um, there'll be some more biographical notes on her later on, because sure. it, it, it goes into and it informs some of his decisions on things. But uh, I thought I would just let you know who this this well, lady is. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so this story um, was first written by Sonia and then was given to Lovecraft to completely rewrite. Yeah. So it's hard to know exactly what... Is she wrote, yeah, right, I mean, and yeah. what is his? I mean, you can see in the, you could tell by, well, maybe, maybe you did. Could you tell from the writing of this that maybe it did it seem different from his other stories? Yeah, there was a lot of mentioning of like bystanders and like people like uh, observing. Yeah, what like was who cares on. about humans? Yeah, there was like a lot of crowds and like mention yeah. of that stuff. Usually, yeah. it's just two guys, right? You know, yeah, there's lifeguards. There are lifeguards. So, so the story opens with this, um, this happening on. Um, on May 17th of this uh, crew of this fishing smack. I've never heard it called a smack. I think yeah, it's just a, a small vessel. That, that might be hers. Maybe. Uh, it's the Alma of Gloucester, and we have our, our boy, Captain James P. Orne. Yeah. So Captain Orne, he kills, after this long battle of what they say is nearly 40 hours, this marine monster whose size and aspect produce the, quote, greatest possible stir in scientific circles. Um... And it's uh, it's a weird creature, huh? Um, yeah. So they describe it as it's 50 feet long. It has a roughly cylindrical shape and about 10 feet in diameter, so width. Um, and they say it's unmistakably a guildfish uh, in its major affiliations, but with certain curious modifications. So it says it has these rudimentary forelegs and six-toed feet in place of pectoral fins. Um which prompted the widest speculation. So it's weird, right? It's, it yeah. almost seems like, um, I know it's, you start to like conjure this monster, but it makes me think of like, you ever see like prehistoric fish? 
those old armored fish. Yeah, but I'm also thinking of the, when it says rudimentary legs, I'm thinking of like, like a cricket. Okay. Like, tss, tss. interesting. Hey, that's cool. You know, so yeah. it, but also it has the, the feet up front. Right. And then it has the four legs. So it's like weird. Almost like a silverfish. You ever see those big oh, centipede yeah. kind of johnnies? Yeah. It's like that, but a fish, like an eel cricket centipede. Thing. So it's disgusting. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I. I think my favorite part of the description, though, is when they tell us that it has one eye. Yeah. This thing's fucking weird. So it's like it's a cyclops fish. Yeah. So right off the bat, when you when I don't know, when you're creating a a creature, I don't know if they were thinking of this and you give it one eye. It's like, oh, that eye does something. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Maybe it hypnotizes people. You could say that. Right. Because, you know, they said it's kind of smarter. Seems smarter than uh, the average fish cricket. It, it, it does, um, and these dimensions—it just—it gives—it gives this just this hideous picture. But more amazing than all of these descriptions of these things, which has never been seen, uh, as the naturalists are, you know, looking at it. I don't know how you come to this conclusion, but they tell us that it's it's an infant. Yeah, which is really cool. Like. You have this giant monster. You're like, oh, man, I can't deal with this. It's like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is just a baby. This, and, like, yeah, infant is... baby. It's not a juvenile. It's, like, was just born. Yeah. That's why it might have wandered on to Martin's Beach, you know? Yeah, maybe. Looking for swimmers? I don't know. Something. With its eye. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> um, and you got to love this. And, I, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, let, uh, I'll let Howard read it to us. Captain Orn with typical Yankee shrewdness, obtained the vessel large enough to hold the object in its hull and arranged for the exhibition of his prize. With judicious carpentry, he prepared what amounted to an excellent marine museum and sailing south to the wealthy resort district of Martin's Beach, anchored at the hotel wharf and reaped a harvest of admission fees. Guy can't lose. Yeah, man. Finds the creature and then decides he's like, I can make a buck off of this. Yeah. Yankee shrewdness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, turns it into a little floating museum, which you gotta love. Like, what, what what else was in there? What did he put together? Yeah, so he like he just like built this entrapment. So it's in the hull. So right. the, so so in the bottom of the uh, in the bottom of the ship, it, there's an area where they have it in there. Yeah. So he's he's charging people admission to come in there, mm-hmm. and he made this little museum. So there's all these little knickknacks in there. He's probably got a Fiji mermaid in there. Yeah. You know. Uh, all other sorts of weirdness, and um, I was like, that, "That's actually really that's that's fun." Like, could you imagine that? Like a cool, a ship that comes to to different ports. Hey, yeah. come see our, you know, that'd be sick. Come see this freakish monster that that, <laughs> I, that I caught, and then yeah. he tells the t- he probably gets up on the stage in the ship, yeah. tells the story. It was forty hours. Yeah. You know, he's got the harpoon. He's he, he does the Standing whole thing Standing above it. Yeah, it all Captain Regalia. Yeah, yeah, I feel like he's probably got a peg leg. What do you think? Probably puts one on. Nice. Oh, yeah. so it's a, oh, it's a total, just a total yeah, it's show. Just knee, you know, backwards. Well, that's that Yankee shrewdness, I guess. It is. He warned us. He did. So he's he comes down to Martin's Beach where he you know he he moors the uh, the boat where he's gonna you know this is where all the money is. Mm-hmm. Everyone's vacationing down there. It's a, it's an affluent area. Um, but unfortunately, uh, one night there's a big storm, and the the vessel breaks free. And it goes, you know, goes out into a storm and, and just disappears. 
Nobody can find it. Along with the one guy that was... One guy yeah. who fell asleep at his job. Yeah. And they say, don't fall asleep on the ship. What if he's like, I'm not paying for a hotel. Yeah. Wasted. You know, he's in the old rummy. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you know how many sea creatures I've guarded? Yep. How many? A lot. So, do you think he brought him on just for this like particular task? Well, you know him. The guy that he, that guy's always at the local, you know, tavern. Yeah, spinning his yarns about you know, white whales and such. And such. And he's like, "You're the man for the job." Oh yeah. Come guard my creature, my cricket eel. It's, it's so gross. I didn't think of cricket legs, but now that you said that, yeah. I hate it. When I pictured rudimentary, four rudimentary legs. It's what came to mind. No, I love it and I hate it. It's like something out of the thing now. Yeah. Now that it has insect legs yeah. thrown in there. Yep. Yeah. Ew. Yeah, it's wholly disgusting. Ugh. I don't like it. So we kind of fast forward a few months and Captain Orrin is trying to, you know, bring his affairs together. He wants mm-hmm. to leave Martin's Beach, you know, cut his losses, you know. It's like he I made tried. his money. He made it, yeah. He made his money, but, you know, I guess that's the end. And... um we're, we kind of cut to this night where they tell us once again this about they start telling us about the moon and how it's low in the sky. It has this, you know, there's this. They're talking about the reflected moonbeams and the shimmering on the on the ocean. Um, <laughs> but uh, they talk about that um, all the like you mentioned there. They they she does focus on she and Lovecraft, I guess. Uh, they, uh, the <clears throat> the spectators. Um, and there's this. They notice this ripple. Um. Marked, and it's like that. It's they describe it that it has a cunning and a calculatingness mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like I imagine like it's creeping up on the shore. It stops, yeah. looks, creeps up some more, mm-hmm. um, and then what kind of trouble can I cause? Here? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like how many of these people can I eat? Uh, <laughs> and then this really strange, like he he they describe it a scream of anguish and despair. Uh, that moved pity even while it mocked it. Interesting. That comes out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, what the fuck? So they don't know what it is. They're, um, maybe they, a person's out there. Maybe a person. I think they even mention a whale. It, something yeah. really strange. And then we get our boys, the two lifeguards who are on duty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sturdy fellows in white bathing attire. <laughs> Onesies, one pieces with the like tank top style Yep, shirts. they got the large red letters across the chest. Lifeguard. Yep. It's your classic. But, um... I imagine the uh, you know those uh, those looks like a tank almost like a wrestling singlet because yeah. it's the twenties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so this is their job. They know what to do. They're first on scene, um, but they even they are like, what? I don't know what's going on, but you know, we're gonna you know they're gonna you know follow their usual course. Um, they hastily seize an air cushion, mm-hmm. which is a, a life preserver. I, but I like—I don't know why I like that. It was like a, an air cushion. Yeah, because it's old timey speak. Yep, and it's and it's got the the coil of rope. Um, and one of the guys runs up and just throws it into the direction <laughs> yeah. of the screech. And this guy, I, I'm, I'm, this is like you know, like you know how they shot put exactly. Like he does the spin yep. right into the ocean, hits exactly where it needs to be. Um. It even ends it with like a kind of like a salute arm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the cushion, you know, disappears into the waves. Um, you know, the crowd's looking. They're, they're like, what's going on? Is it somebody? Mm-hmm. So they start um, they start pulling on this rope. Um, but 
they can't get a hold. Like, it's, yeah. they're like, what the hell is this? And they're pulling it so hard to the fact that it's like, uh, I think they, he describes it as almost like steel because mm-hmm. the, 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 the rope is so taut Taut. that they can't move it um they're they're having a a tough time so captain orin is on the beach he sees what's going on there's some other onlookers and uh the lifeguards uh even yell they're they're like you know help like we can't they see them getting dragged in they can't so captain orin jumps on a bunch of others jump on and um the naturalists are there uh, of course they are (laughs) um and and at this point this is where we get the the idea that like Captain Orn is like a whale must have swallowed this thing. Right. That's the only thing I can think of because this is unbelievable. How are we not able to move yeah. this thing? Then he struck with the idea that the creature that got lost comes to his mind was a juvenile, a baby. Yeah. What would what would the adult version of this do? Probably stay far away, hunt at night. Yeah. Maybe like what's going on right now. Yeah, maybe. Um, and then we get this storm, like it rolls in like out of nowhere, and these guys are jumping on it, and all of a sudden they're they're noticing that they're being pulled. They're looking down at their hands, and they're looking up, and they're like, they can't really. They're, they're like, they're like stunned, hypnotized, maybe. Yeah. But they're being pulled into the water, and they can't let go of the rope. Also, they talk about like the undulation of it. It almost has like this weird like. Yeah, and the narrator saying he was one of those people too that couldn't. Yeah, he was he was helping out. He he was there too, and he could not. Um, none of them could uh, could let go of it. It was it was it was none could explain it. And as they're talking about this going on, um, they describe it as it looks like a gigantic centipede moving right. into the water as they're moving in, and they just it's it's just it's just going in and the. the the fact that they can't let go and the people like he she talks about like the faces looking back like yeah. they're just like oh, like it's just it's, it's pandemonium ter- yeah, it's, it's terrifying but be, the terror is so great that the that it's completely silent like it's one of those things where, like you're just trying yeah. to like there's no time to say nothing and i and i thought that was i thought that was kind of uh yeah, the, i, I the, like the, that those panicky moments when you can't say anything when right. there's nothing to say is there anything more terrifying I guess not when you're struck, you know, in such a way. So as this is all going on, um, we get this big thunderclap, um, and it, it's everyone. They're just they, they, you know, they can't believe what's what's happening here, and um, they're moving further into the ocean. No one seems to be able to stop, um, and they can't release. Really, you know, yeah. they're they're panicked um, until another even even louder thunderclap occurs, <clears throat> and everything just disappears. Storm goes away. Whatever was going on with them just stops. And the narrator says that they get this this sense that they see this. He almost sees this eye out there. Yeah. And that's really the end of the story. Yeah. So mama bear or daddy bear was coming back to be like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there, I saw two. Uh, it, I, and I was wondering what he what he thought with that. Is this uh, the spirit of this thing? Interesting. Yeah. Or is it the vengeful mother? And that was the consensus. That, or it you know, could have been it grew in that time. Like maybe it wasn't dead. Maybe it was molting. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> you never know with these freakish yeah. creatures. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, and, but, and that's the idea. I mean, and, and like I said in the beginning, like you have these, you know, you see a creature with one big eye. What does that mean? There's a hypnotic effect. Yeah. And it was trying to, and, that, and that's the thing that I, <clears throat> that you wonder. It has everybody. It's got, you know, it's got all these people, and it's was was the idea to 
scare them? Or was the idea that, like, there was only able to come during this storm? Or, like... Or was the second thunder clap its parent, like, knock it off? You had your fun. Maybe. Hey, that's, you know, that's that's a good point, too. Because um, it stops <clears throat> after that, you know? It does. It even says at the end... There was no line of bobbing heads now. The waters were calm and deserted and broken only by the fading ripples of what seemed to be a whirlpool far out in the path of the moonlight whence the strange cry had first come. But as I looked along that treacherous lane of silvery sheen, with fancy fevered and senses overwrought, there trickled upon my ears from some abysmal sunken waste the faint and sinister echoes of a laugh. So uh, that seems to me like vengeance. Yeah. And it's fun, but something was like, you're going too far, maybe. Right. Or maybe it instills the fear, and that's better. Sure. Fear what's out there. Yeah. Right? It's like, a, it, this is this instills you more fear of the unknown. You try to some unknown force of nature. Yeah. This will teach you to try to reel something in. I, you know, it, it. I like it. I yeah. mean, it's 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 got, you know, it's got all that Lovecraftian, you know, gigantic monster from the sea, fear of the unknown, and completely inexplicable events. Yeah, some supernatural happenstance that is associated with this creature, with said creature. Right. And kind of a cleansing lightning bolt? Yeah, that's that true. That, huh? That's true. That's true. Yeah. The thing that snaps everything back to <clears throat> to save it. Yeah. Hmm. So what do you think of this one as compared to uh, some of the other ones? Or De- it's it's definitely different. Um, you can tell the outer influence of it. You can tell the uh, someone else had their hand at play here and and was he was working <laughs> with something that was definitely already there. Um, yeah. He obviously kept some stuff in there, but I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I like a big monster that you don't you know and, and this one's kind of describable as opposed to like you know right the un you know unnamed and horrors that i can't speak of right that's another difference too right and that's you only get, maybe because yeah. it's only an infant right right they, that they fought that thing for 40 hours you know it was very <laughs> it was very like um terrestrial in its like in its way right because yeah. it's like <clears throat> and it's, it's just infancy a, right it's just a big whatever but the mother has this it's this thing out in the you know out in the water and it could be you know what the hell else could it do it could be you know um others have suggested that the creature in this that does the hypnotizing is mother hydra from uh we'll talk about later in insmith there's father Father dagon and mother hydra um i don't know if that was i doubt that that was the um the intent but um it's kind of cool because then it gives you that like oh she can hypnotize stuff right (laughs) and i'm sure a lot of people look into it and try to associate and cross you know Oh, oh, uh, unendingly, because you have the you have the game players, the people that play the Call of Cthulhu uh, right. role-playing game. You got to give stats to these things, got to give it <laughs> abilities, and, you know, you, they mine the stories for, for, for monsters, so right. I could definitely see where they came to that. Sure. But I like that it's this big, you know, there's, you know, starts off with this big thing that's, oh my god, this is amazing, but then, oh, it's an infant, and now the mother comes back and uses probably just a fraction of her, you know, of her abilities to scare, put the fear of God back in these, yeah. uh, these sailors. Yeah, you're not you're not as big as you think you are. Yep, and, uh, you know, she's maybe, you know, the mother uh, the mother fish, you know, could be just even a, a small thing that what else could be down there as well. Yeah, the cleansing lightning bolt. Yeah. Stopping mm-hmm. it from doing its uh Maybe its Cthulhu told her to stop. Probably. Yeah, it's possible. I don't even know much about the guy yet, but I would assume so. We're so close. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> I can taste it. Yep. All right, man. Well, that's that's what I have for uh, Horror at Martin's Beach. Um, love this one. Uh, anything with marine monsters yeah. and, uh, you know, a creature feature, I'm in. Um, 
there was no dream imagery, so I'm sure you were like, Whew. Yeah, I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. I understand what's happening. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, even with the hypnotic suggestion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so next time, oh, man, we are going to be covering The Hound. Sounds good. Uh, Can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, and um, hoping to get a special guest for that episode, so uh, keep your fingers crossed. So, uh, oh, yeah, you know who. Hey, folks, just wanted to jump in here real quick and uh, give you a little update. Um, we're going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus. Um, nothing serious, nothing bad. Uh, just uh, your boys need a little bit of a break. Um, we're we're going to be gone about a month. Um, but uh, in the meantime, you know, give you a chance to catch up on, on some of the you know, previous episodes. Um, but we're going to be coming back with The Hound, a great story. And then we have a great run of stories uh, when we come back. So I uh, hope you're going to be looking forward to it. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Uh, so once again, we find ourselves lingering on the edge of the abyss that Lovecraft so masterfully presents. So thank you for joining for this episode of Learning Lovecraft. I've been Jason McKittrick. And I've been Ken James. And we'll see you beyond the wall of sleep. Ooh.